In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. First thing I want you to do tonight is to take a deep breath and let it out. Now, I don't know if you have more to do when you get home. But if you do, it's not on, it's not on the Lord. All right? Uh, all the shopping's done. All the plans are made. There may be a few things still be done before bed. Uh, but tonight is the night that we've come and you know what the pastor's talking about. Right? The Christmas story. Not a Christmas story. You know, the one about the, the little boy Ralphie with the BB gun and you'll shoot your eye out. That's later. If you want that service, you know, that's after this one sometime. But of course you know what it's about, right? And, so, and that's really something, you know, for us who, the, those of us who are going to speak on it because it's like, well, everybody knows it's coming. What do you say? So you start reading early and and uh, and just looking and digesting. And one of the things that I realize that's going on is that you may be here tonight, and that deep breath. Uh, you need a few more of those, for whatever reason. And it may be because of what you're facing. Uh, there may be some of the questions of, why me? And why am I the one that has to put up with this? Or the questions of, oh, really, are you sure, God, that you're taking care of me in this? Or, God, I'm not really sure that you even know I exist. I mean, those, those are questions, and they do come up, and they come up for pastors. They come up for all of us, don't they? But in the Christmas story, I think there are a few things that intersect where you may be. Uh, for, for It's too easy to take the Christmas story as just a story and to miss... The reality that's there. It doesn't, it seems too nice. It seems too perfect. It's idyllic. I mean, Linus talks about it in the Peanuts Christmas. You know, it's just, it's a kid's story and it's easily told, you know, by characters drawn on, on the screen. But there's some reality in the life of what's going on. And sometimes it's hard to have faith. And it's hard to to uh, lean upon a God that you're not sure if, if He knows about you or if He does, He cares. And if He cares, then why this? I mean, you look around at the state of the world or the, what's going on in our nation or what's going on in your family, right? Because we all have that, don't we? I don't. I, it's not just me that has the crazy family. You know, and, and you get together and it's like, oh, you, you know what I mean? I hope you know what I mean. 
because people are going to listen to this on the internet. So, but 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 there are those things that go on. And and what about my job and my marriage and my kids? And I can't believe that, you know, this happened. And oh man, this is the first Christmas without them. And there are all those. Uh, there are other things. There are those internal things. There are those uh, the the doubts that I have about me. I'm not sure if it got what it takes. Sometimes, or the depression, or the anger, or the, you know, just just the the compounded frustration and wondering. The other things that nobody else knows about, just you know about it, and you wonder if anybody, even in heaven, knows. So we're going to read through the Christmas story again. In part because it's Christmas, and in part because of how it actually, I think, intersects our life. But I want to start with the first few sentences that Luke writes. Our reading comes from chapter 2. But Luke starts out in chapter 1. Right? And I want to look at what he says. If you're uh, not really a Bible person, I want you to kind of pay attention to this. Uh, if you haven't picked up the Bible very much, or, or not since you were a child, or you kind of have a picture of why the Bible isn't really worth reading, and maybe that's because of a professor that you had or somebody that seemed very smart, uh, knowing you that said, oh, it's just a book like any books. In fact, it's not as good as other books because, you know, it's just written by people and you can't really trust it. And I want you to know that professor or that smart person, whoever they are, they can be sitting in church right now. Regretting what they ever told you. And Luke starts out this way. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And I want, you, I want you to notice, this does not start out once upon a time in this town called Bethlehem. And it doesn't start out a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And it doesn't start out, start out you know, some say through the mists of time. He says, many have undertaken to tell you these things. He says, many? Yeah, a lot of folks. A lot of folks have tried to, to tell this. There are a lot of people that have sat down to, to write this stuff, to come up with an account of what happened. What do you mean? Something really happened? Yeah. It happened among us. Things have been fulfilled among us. You, what do you mean, Luke? You mean like... Among you, among the people around us? what? Yes, that's exactly what I mean, says Luke. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Luke, that kind of sounds like there were people, you're saying that there were people that saw this stuff. He says, yes. There are people that saw this stuff. and We've been talking with them. We've been trying to figure out exactly what went on. We've been doing the research to find out what it is. 
says, therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Think about that just for a minute. Luke is, Luke's putting his own character on the line saying, I've investigated all of this. Back to the very start of it. And then he tells why he's writing it. He said, it seemed good to me, also to me, to write an orderly account. For you, most excellent Theophilus. So he's writing it to somebody in particular. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Okay, again, this is not fairy tale. This doesn't even sound religious, does it? This is more of opening up the coroner's report. Here's a guy who says, I've investigated everything. I'm one of many, and I wanted to write down something orderly so that you'd know exactly what happened. If you're not a Bible person, you may not have known that. But that's how this starts. And now we'll skip down to chapter 2 where our reading was. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire world. The entire Roman world. And then kind of off to the side he says, out of, the, out of all the censuses that, that you might be wondering if it was, this was... The first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So this is something that happened in a particular time. And we know a general area in the Roman world. And he's about to get very specific about where this happened. He says, everyone went to his own town to register. Everybody had to go back to where their grandparents and great-grandparents grew up, and they had to go there for the census. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Now that was, if you could go in a straight line, that's about 80 miles going north to south in Israel. But you couldn't go in a straight line because of the people that lived in between. So you had to go out east a pretty good amount and circle around, and you had to cross the river to come back in. And so he, he probably went 100 or 120 miles on foot. It's nothing to sneeze at. And he went to Bethlehem, the town of David, because that's where King David a thousand years earlier grew up, because he belonged to the family, the house and the line of David. So that's where he went. Now, here's some things about Joseph that may intersect with you. I don't think this was the easiest time in Joseph's life. We know that Joseph, I mean, he's described as a kind man and a good man. But we also know that if it hadn't been for a dream of an angel talking to him, he would have divorced his fiancée. He would have called off the wedding. And we find out, you know, you know, this, you've heard this. It's Mary, right? And he's traveling with Mary. We know he is. But the problem is Mary's pregnant and he ain't the daddy. And so he was going to call the whole thing off. And because he's good and kind, it says he was going to do it quietly. And that may have kept him from getting in a little bit more trouble. 
But because he had this dream, and the dream seemed to be this, kind of the same thing that he was hearing from Mary, he didn't call it off. But I'm just betting, I'm betting, I'm betting, I don't know this, we don't have it recorded, but I am betting that there were times that Joseph wondered, was that a, just a dream or was that real? What have I gotten myself into? Because going around, you know, going around, we think that Joseph may have been a little bit older than Mary. And going around with a pregnant teenager and claiming hers, this is my fiance, but I didn't do that. That raises eyebrows today. But at the time, that was scandalous. And it was not an easy thing. I mean, just going back, I think back in my grandparents' generation. What if this had happened in the 50s, the 40s? You know, my, my dad was born in 42. So what if, what if my grandparents and their generation in the late 30s and early 40s, what if, what if there was a couple like this in town? They wouldn't have been treated with honor and dignity and respect very many places, right? It was, it, it was harder back then in, in this culture. So I don't think this was an easy time for, for Joseph. And, and I think Joseph had questions about, why me? Why am I the one that's wrapped up in this? Why couldn't it have been somebody else? And this is hard. Have you ever been there? I've been there. Why did I get that diagnosis? Why am I the one that I tried to do the right thing and I didn't go along with it and I'm the one that got fired? Why is that? God, if you cared, right? Have you ever said stuff? You ever had that feeling? I don't know that Joseph did, but if I had been in Joseph's shoes, I think I would have. Now you know. Joseph was doing the right thing, and it looked wrong. You ever been there? And so here he is, traveling over 100 miles with this pregnant young lady. Every step, he's got to be wondering a little bit about. I know I was convinced this was God. I know I was. But, you know, I mean, there's got to be questions. And here he is, and the reason that they're going is because the folks who are occupying our country, the oppressors, are demanding that we come and be counted so they can keep a thumb on how many of us there are and where we live and what we do. And then this is also the time when they make us pay taxes. You paid taxes at the census. And you couldn't use your normal money. You couldn't use your Benjamins and your Ben, you know, your Ben Franklins, your, your George Washingtons. You couldn't use those. You had to use their money. And their money had a picture of a pagan man who thought he was God and they called him Caesar Augustus. And that was just, ugh. That was disdainful. And, and so all of these feelings swirling around with Joseph. I don't know if you can identify with any of that, but it's probably a little bit difficult for him, I'm thinking. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him. She was expecting a child. Let's talk about Mary just for a second. We, we have these pictures. I mean, and people have painted pictures for two centuries of Mary. And, and it's, they're sweet pictures. 
And she had to be a, a, an amazing young lady, right? To, to say yes to God in, in this circumstance. But there had to be times that she, you know, she was wondering about what she had gotten into too. Like mile two, riding on a donkey with a hundred miles left to go. And she's eight or nine months pregnant. Right? Anybody in here ever been pregnant? How does that sound like for, here's your honeymoon. <laughs> and, and then the next question probably came, it's mile three. And I'm still pregnant and riding on a donkey. Right? And Mary is the one more than Joseph who has been catching the eyes cut at her. The eyes rolling back in the head and seeing the people kind of point at her. And as much as she said, oh God, I'm your handmaiden, I'm your servant, whatever you want. There are times that even when we know that we're in the middle of God's will, it seems like, why do you have to want this? I don't know if you've ever been there. I've been there. Why this? Why does it have to be so hard? She'd never been with a man, and people were likely calling her a liar for saying it. Probably took more than five days to get there, even on a donkey. Hills, valleys, river. Oh, with a man who you wondered if he wanted to be with you. How long is this going to last? And, and those, those thoughts late at night, well, he might leave, but I'm stuck with this. I can't get away. And as much as God, I want this, yeah, I want to have that heart, it, you know, this is hard. Have you ever been in a situation that's just hard and you can't get out of it? And you wonder what the future is going to be like. She's staring down the barrels of potentially an unhappy marriage. And a reputation that will never leave her or her child. And as a mama, that's got to be hard. And then, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she's away from her family, right? Her mama's not there. Who's with her? This dude that tried to divorce her, he's there. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because he forgot to make reservations. (laughs) And there was no room for them in the inn. Could have looked very similar to this. This is a picture that I took uh, in Israel on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a town there called Chorazin. And this town existed in, in its state. It was never built over. It was never torn down and rebuilt. It, Chorazin is a place that Jesus went. 
He knew, of course, and he walked in its streets. And this is a picture of a, a, a manger, of a stable. Now, the back wall isn't built up, right? You see that? So the wall would have to be coming up. But this, that looks like a fence, you put the animals on one side and you keep all the feed on the other. And that's a stable. And it could have been something very like this that they're staying in. How does that compare to the Waldorf Astoria? Imagine what it would be like to be there. And in something that is in, in the middle of something that's such a good, a good, a good thing to be a parent and to bear a child. Imagine what that was like. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to make everything look doomy and gloomy and say they all had bad attitudes. But they were people like you and I. And, and there's, we probably get some insight into how they felt by thinking about how would I feel. They weren't super people. They were real. They were flesh and blood. How would you feel? Then here's another group. There were shepherds that were living out in the fields nearby. They weren't living in houses. They were living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, I don't know what you know about shepherds. I, I studied shepherds. That's one of the things I get paid to do around here. And one of the things that I found out about shepherds were shepherds, were, they weren't even second-class citizens. They were like third-class citizens. Thank goodness for the lepers because at least the shepherds were above somebody. The shepherds were so looked down on and so overlooked, they were not allowed to testify in court. Who can trust a shepherd? Who cares what they have to say? And, and, and you know, if you're driving down the road in Israel, you know, and, and you, you see them broken down on the side, you know, and their sheep's broken down, and, you know, you... Most people, you stop your camel and you get out and you help them change the tire, right? But it was written, don't help the shepherds. That's who shepherds were. Shepherds were overlooked, discounted. You didn't want to hear of them. You didn't really care about them. I mean, even though these shepherds, the ones that tended the flocks around Bethlehem were the ones that were tending the flocks of the sheep who would be slaughtered in the temple for the sacrifices for the purification from sins. They were essential to the life of the nation, and they were overlooked. Have you, have you ever been doing something important? I think I felt like this, you know, at 1 a.m. and I'm finishing up the dishes that everybody else went and put in. They went to bed. And the dishes had to be done. And I'm doing something very important and I'm like. You want to go and knock on all their doors? I don't know. I don't know if y'all have been there or not. I'm just. It's confession. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine your life like that. That's these guys. They were ostracized and overlooked. One day, 
Jesus would be called the Lamb of God. And he was born at the same fields that the sheep were born who were slaughtered for the sins of the people. Interesting little tidbit. That part was free. But then something started to change. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I'm not surprised. We're reading this out of the New International Version, the NIV. I don't know if you know this. When every time it talks about the glory of the Lord is in the Old Testament, except for this one. And every time in the Old Testament it talks about the glory of the Lord, it's talking about the splendor of God when He's actually present. He's actually there. This isn't something they're making up. Oh, and I saw the glory of the Lord on their faces. And you meant they were smiling and enjoying worship. No. This is this light and splendor. This rainbow around him. And there's, you know, it makes you want to hit your knees because there he is, the creator of the universe. That's, that's what it talks about every time in the Old Testament. And this one time in the New Testament when they use that phrase. This is the only time. It implies that God himself was present. Of course they were terrified. Who wouldn't be? God shows up to the people that no one else notices. That should be some hope. If you feel overlooked, God shows up to people like you. You might be terrified. C.S. Lewis said, uh, if anyone can appear before him without their knees knocking, they're either, either braver than most or just silly. So you might be scared. Because God is awesome. Not in, the, not in the way that we use the word now. But he is worthy of all. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And that's very unusual. Because good news is usually good for some people. Like I hear that the Jaguars are in the playoffs and they won their division. Any Jaguars fans? That's very good news if you're a Jaguars fan. But if you're pulling for somebody else, that's not so good news. In every election, some people are very excited at the outcome because it's good news. Their candidate won. But that's bad news for other people. But this angel said, this is good news of great joy for everybody. There are no sides to this. Today, in the town of David, right over that little rise, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. You know, that's really important. The town of David was what? Bethlehem. It's really important that the angel said, this is where the Messiah has been born. Because 700 
to 750 years earlier, God told Micah, and if you flip back a, you know, a while in your Bible, you'll find a book. It's called Micah. It's what Micah wrote down what God said and all the things that happened. And he wrote down that God said that when the Messiah is born, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And nobody in our story was probably thinking about that. They had their own stuff. And the angel goes on, this will be a sign to you. You're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And it's like that one angel, when he spoke the news, all the other angels heard it, and they couldn't keep their excitement away. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. From the angel's perspective, It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter how overlooked you feel, how much you wonder about what is coming in your future and how this could ever work out for you or why are you going through what you're going through. And if I heard your story, I would agree with you that it is a difficult place. But yet, when a Savior is born... God's favor rests on you. And you can get some peace from that. God has a way of working things out. They don't work out very often the way that we would have them work out. And if we were writing the fairy tale, or if we had the magic wand or the three wishes, things would be much different from our perspective, wouldn't they? And the things that you and I have had to go through are difficult. They really are. And I don't want to diminish that. But at the same time, we don't often recognize where God is in our story or what he's doing. Think about what happened in this story. God had to find a way to get Mary to Bethlehem before she gave birth. Which was probably pretty dicey on the trip there. And what did he do? He moved in the mind and heart of the emperor of the Roman Empire who thought he was a god, to cause him to call a census and to send out messengers and work through the whole layers of all the bureaucracy to make sure that everybody went to their hometown. Oh, yeah, by the way, I've got to get her betrothed to Joseph so that he can take her. No, Joseph, you cannot divorce her. This is important. And if God can move the mightiest nation on earth to make sure a baby gets born in a stable, God is very able to meet you where you are. When the angels left the shepherds and they'd gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. 
Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. I bet they just picked up and they were, they were getting out of there. Let's go. And they hurried off. I'm not surprised, are you? And they found Mary. Mary stuck it out. And they found Joseph. And he was still by Mary's side. And they found the baby who was lying in the manger. Some say that that was a, a common thing that they did when a, 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 a lamb was born without a blemish, that they'd wrap it up and put it in the manger for a while just to protect it until it could stand on its own so it wouldn't accidentally fall down and skin its knee and therefore not be perfect. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. I bet the first people they talked to were Mary and Joseph. What do you think it meant to Mary and Joseph to hear that from the shepherds? Did it make it all worthwhile? Do you think it made it worthwhile? Do you think it took all the pain away? All the discomfort? All the questions? No. Those had been there. Those were real. But it made it worthwhile. See, God's not going to deliver you maybe from the hard time, but he is going to make it worthwhile. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You've got to remember, nobody trusted shepherds. Nobody cared what they had to say. But now, look at what God did for the shepherds. For those who were so overlooked, all of a sudden, they were the ones that had the news that everybody was amazed at. How much does God love the shepherds? How much does God love you when you feel Overlooked and like, I'm just stuck in the rat race. and Oh, no. God loves you. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them. I bet she did it for years. And the shepherds returned, glorifying And praising God, not because their life was perfect, but because they had seen life. Praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Folks, this isn't a fairy tale. And you are favored of God. And as you need Him, seek for Him, and He will be found by you. Because we have a Savior who has been born, and His name is Christ the Lord. Amen.